Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. And you can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description below this video, online at fellowshipgj.com, or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us today and enjoy today's service. Well, we're in part two of our series, Any Questions? And when we do a series like this, we want to make sure that we're not only teaching it, teaching the truth, but also getting you information, giving you resources so that you can continue to study and also have some things in hand in case there's something that you forget or somebody has a question for you as you represent Christ, as you represent Israel and the things that are going on. And so I wanted to start uh, like I did last week. I want to go ahead and put up the timeline. And so if you have your uh, phone available uh, where you can take a picture. We had some people that wanted to take a picture of the timeline, so go ahead and put that up. Uh, and I'm going to explain that just once again, just real quickly. First of all, we have to understand where we are in this timeline. And I said last week that we are right before the rapture. That's what most scholars, most uh, theologians believe, that we are in the middle of the Psalms 53 war, which is the border war that's happening and taking place right now in Israel with all of those bordering countries attacking her. Uh, and then we're between that war and this Jeremiah 49 war, which will be a uh, strike between uh, Israel and Iran, where Israel attacks Iran. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the things that may be happening around that. But then the rapture. Now, of course, there's three different views of the rapture. I didn't really hit that last week, so I'll mention it just briefly this morning. Uh, there is a pre-tribulation rapture teaching, which many, many scholars believe in uh, and teach, and that is that we will be raptured, taken up into heaven, and meet Jesus in the air. And if you know Jesus, then that is what will happen to you when that takes place. Well, after the rapture, the beginning of the tribulation, the tribulation's mark begins with a peace treaty between Israel uh, and the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will come on the scene. He is a, will come in human form, but he will be possessed by Lucifer himself. And he's going to come on the scene as this peace giver. He's going to come on the scene as this uh, military genius, political genius, religious genius. He's going to be uh, a really, really smart. And for a period of time, he's going to bring about peace uh, on the planet, even though things are getting ready to go crazy for the first uh, period of time in the tribulation period, he will be looked at as the savior of the world. And that first three and a half years won't be so bad, but that will be the beginning of the tribulation until three, that three and a half year mark. That is where the desecration of the temple will take place when the Antichrist will stand up and say, you know what, I am the Messiah, worship me. That will be the midpoint of the tribulation. Now, some are mid-trib believers. So many believe that we will be raptured before. 
the, the, uh, the tribulation. Some believe that we'll be raptured in the middle of the tribulation. And then this three and a half years after the desecration of the temple is what is called the great tribulation. And that is where things are going to progressively get worse and worse on this planet. Nobody's going to want to be here during that season. And the Antichrist will rule during that time many different cata natural catastrophes as well as other things that will, ha will happen during that time. Uh, and then at the end of that three and a half years will be the Battle of Armageddon where all the world powers will come and ascend on the Armageddon Valley in Israel for one final battle and God will come in and he will wipe them out. And that is Jesus' second coming. So that is what we have to look forward to as Christians. Now, as I say this, we have people that will don't come on weeks when we talk about end times because they don't, they just, it scares them. They're fearful of it. And as I did last week, I want to say a prayer right now, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, I want to say this prayer. Lord, we come before you. We know that you're the King of kings and Lord of lords. We know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And in Jesus' name, we speak to the spirit of fear and we cast it out of us we cast it away from us and in Jesus name instead that you would fill us with your peace and your hope and a reminder of what we have to look forward to in the future so we pray these things in Jesus name amen so if you have your camera take a picture of that real quick and then you'll have that as a resource but then also we wanted to make a kind of a, a glossary of terms and, and definitions of some words that we're going to be using last week as well as this week. So if you guys will put that up, uh, just different, different terms that sometimes we use as Christians and we forget that not everybody knows these terms. And so uh, you can take a picture of that as well. So you can snap a picture of that. And then these are some good resources for you to be able to hold on to. You have in your phone, but then I'll give you an opportunity uh, to get some more resources as well we go through this uh, series today. Now, this was supposed to be part two of the series, the part of the series, was gonna, which is dealing with the Middle East and, and how Bible prophecy relates over to that. And so I, have, I did four questions last week. Remember that? So if you don't, if you missed last week, make sure you watch online. We actually broke records last week on our online uh, viewership, which is really cool. So God is doing really, really some cool things through that and then rebroke it this morning at 9 a.m. so for this second part and because I can't shut up I can't get through the rest of these points today because there's eight more I was gonna try to get them all done but we're gonna actually have to push the series one more week so next week we'll actually do a third week of the Middle East is that okay that's okay all right so make sure and then the week after that, we'll be talking about the rapture. And the week after that, which will be the first weekend in December, we'll be talking about heaven. So we're super excited for that. But as you watch the news right now, there's something that is coming up, a term, a phrase, that is coming up again that has come up through the history of Israel since 1948. And really, before that. And it's this terminology of peace for, or land for peace. In other words, if Israel will give up land, then they can have peace. Everyone, including America, has been trying to force Israel to give up land since its inception. And the thought is that if Israel gives the Palestinians land so that they can be independent, then there will be peace. But why hasn't this not worked? It's, try, it's been tried several times, but, but why hasn't it worked? Well, one of the, the, the uh, videos that I love to show 
Anytime we teach signs, which, by the way, this is a resource. It's in our bookstore. Uh, you can get it. This is a series that I wrote in 2016 and then have revised it several times in the last seven years. But uh, it's a workbook, and then with the workbook comes a digital code where you can watch the videos that go with it. Uh, but it will help you understand end times way better. It's eight sessions. They're about an hour each. Um, a lot more uh, emphasis is put on, on things for us to be able to grasp what is happening in the world and the signs around it uh, that we just won't have time for on a Sunday morning. But you can grab that. But every time I teach from this, I always show the same video uh, because it, he does, Dennis Prager does such a beautiful job of explaining things. And he is uh, the president or co-founder of PragerU. He's considered one of America's most respected conservative thinkers. And in this video, he really explains this Palestinian-Israeli dilemma. When I did my graduate studies at the Middle East Institute at Columbia University's School of International Affairs, I took many courses on the question of the Middle East conflict. Semester after semester, we studied the Middle East conflict as if it was the most complex conflict in the world, when in fact, it is probably the easiest conflict in the world to explain. It may be the hardest to solve, but it is the easiest to explain. In a nutshell, it's this. One side wants the other side dead. Israel wants to exist as a Jewish state and to live in peace. Israel also recognizes the right of Palestinians to have their own state and to live in peace. The problem, however, is that most Palestinians and many other Muslims and Arabs do not recognize the right of the Jewish state of Israel to exist. This has been true since 1947, when the United Nations voted to divide the land called Palestine into a Jewish state and an Arab state. The Jews accepted the United Nations partition, but no Arab or any other Muslim country accepted it. When British rule ended on May 15, 1948, the armies of all the neighboring Arab states, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Transjordan, and Egypt, attacked the one-day-old state of Israel in order to destroy it. But to the world's surprise, the little Jewish state survived. Then it happened again. In 1967, the dictator of Egypt, Gamal Abdel Nasser, announced his plan, in his words, to destroy Israel. He placed Egyptian troops on Israel's border, and armies of surrounding Arab countries were also mobilized to attack. However, Israel preemptively attacked Egypt and Syria. Israel did not attack Jordan and begged Jordan's king not to join the war. But he did. And only because of that did Israel take control of Jordanian land, specifically the West Bank of the Jordan River. Shortly after the war, the Arab states went to Khartoum, Sudan, and announced their famous three no's. No recognition, no peace, and no negotiations. What was Israel supposed to do? Well, one thing Israel did a little more than a decade later in 1978 was to give the entire Sinai Peninsula, an area of land bigger than Israel itself and with oil, back to Egypt because Egypt, under new leadership, signed a peace agreement with Israel. So Israel gave land for the promise of peace with Egypt, and it has always been willing to do the same thing with the Palestinians. All the Palestinians have ever had to do is recognize Israel as a Jewish state and promised to live in peace with it. 
But when Israel has proposed trading land for peace, as it did in 2000, when it agreed to give the Palestinians a sovereign state in more than 95% of the West Bank and all of Gaza, the Palestinian leadership rejected the offer and instead responded by sending waves of suicide terrorists into Israel. Meanwhile, Palestinian radio, television, and school curricula remain filled with glorification of terrorists, demonization of Jews, and the daily repeated message that Israel should cease to exist. So it's not hard to explain the Middle East dispute. One side wants the other dead. The motto of Hamas, the Palestinian rulers of Gaza, is, we love death as much as the Jews love life. There are 22 Arab states in the world, stretching from the Atlantic Ocean to the Indian Ocean. There is one Jewish state in the world, and it is about the size of New Jersey. In fact, tiny El Salvador is larger than Israel. Finally, think about these two questions. If tomorrow Israel laid down its arms and announced, we will fight no more, what would happen? And if the Arab countries around Israel laid down their arms and announced, we will fight no more, what would happen? In the first case, there would be an immediate destruction of the state of Israel and mass murder of its Jewish population. In the second case, there would be peace the next day. As I said at the outset, it is a simple problem to describe. One side wants the other dead. And if it didn't, there would be peace. Please remember this. There has never been a state in the geographic area known as Palestine that was not Jewish. Israel is the third Jewish state to exist in that area. There was never an Arab state, never a Palestinian state, never a Muslim or any other state. That's the issue. Why can't the one Jewish state the size of El Salvador be allowed to exist? That is the Middle East problem. I'm Dennis Prager. So it's six different times they've tried this tried to give land for peace. In 1936, through the Peel Commission, Arabs were offered 80% of the land and offered the Jews 20%. The Jews accepted the offer. The Arabs declined it. It happened again in 1947, 1967. And he was speaking in 2000 of the Barack Arafat Clinton Summit, where for 14 days they tried to negotiate with the Arabs and give them land for peace. But Arafat said no every time. Well, in 2005, Israel just ends up giving Palestinians Gaza. They immediately turn it into a terrorist state and have used it as a staging ground to attack Israel ever since. And then once again in 2008, they tried to give land for peace. It's all very documented. You can find it all just if you just Google it, if you just want to look it up. But the truth is, is they don't want land for peace. They want Israel and the people and the land destroyed. Now, last week we talked a little bit about the tunnel system underneath uh, Palestine and under, or under, underneath uh, Gaza and underneath Gaza City. And when you're watching TV on the news, they, they show a lot of graphics of that. They kind of show uh, buildings and then they'll show these little graphics of tunnels and then these little figures uh, of Hamas running around in those tunnels. But they don't ever talk about the vastness of this tunnel system. Those tunnels have the ability and have housed as many as 40,000
1,000 Hamas militants in them. There are 500 kilometers of tunnels under Gaza. Okay, let me speak American to you. That's 310 miles of tunnels. That's like us building a tunnel from Grand Junction to Lyman, Colorado, which is east of Denver. There are 1,300 tunnels, and some of them are up to 200 feet deep. This is how committed they are to killing Jews and destroying Israel. So land for peace will never work. When you hear protesters or you hear uh, a pro-Palestinian rhetoric and they say, you know, if we just had freedom, if we just had independence, if we just had land, then we'll be peace. No, no, no, no, there won't because they want Israel destroyed. I've had some people say, well, what if Israel just bowed out? What if they just gave the Palestinians the land? If they just let them win, would then, would the Palestinian people be at peace? No, no. Because they have been at odds with each other within the Muslim nation for thousands of years. So they, they're, they're not a people of peace. And land won't give them that peace either. So that was question five. Question six is, why does there seem to be so much support for Hamas and Palestinians, especially on college campuses? Well, I want to give this younger generation that's going to, through school right now, I, I want to compliment you on something. The truth is, you love to get involved with humanitarian efforts. You should be committed for that, as well as causes for the environmental issues. You should be commended for that as well. It's all, it's all great. The problem is that you are being taught narratives that are not true. You just don't understand the history and the significance around it. You're not being taught those things. This generation that is coming through schools right now, they believe that Israel is this big bully that has persecuted Palestinians and Muslims. They believe this because that is what they are being taught. Now, I heard a teacher uh, last week, and he said this uh, from one of his platforms. He said a quote that is so true. He said, Americans should be sick of paying taxes and tuition to send their kids off to college and have them come back hating God, hating America, and hating Israel. We should be sick of that. We should not be tolerant of that. We're paying for education, for our, our kids to come back with these thoughts, with this propaganda, with this ideology put in their heads. The marches and demonstrations that are happening on campuses would make our founding fathers roll over in their graves. And here's the thing. A lot of times we think in Grand Junction, well, those are big cities. Those are, those are the major campuses. Those are the more liberal campuses. It's happening in colleges and universities all across the United States. It's happening all over, not just in those larger cities. Now, here's the truth. And I want to show this map. Um, Dr. Prager hit on this just briefly. But... In orange, you see there all of the uh, Arab and Muslim nations, okay? And then right in the very middle there, you see Israel. There are 22 Arab states, 52 Muslim states, one Jewish state the size of New Jersey. Who's the bully? Are you kidding me? I mean, you look at it from that scale, and it is so obvious how spiritual this is. The devil has completely surrounded God's people and God's land with the enemy. Who's the bully? Number seven. 
Is there a rise of anti-Semitism in the world, and is that prophetic? Well, yes, it is. We see it. It's happening all around us, and according to Scripture, it's going to get worse all the way through tribulation. Jimmy Evans is an author of, uh, the, of, of, of a series called Tipping Point. Um, he has an incredible uh, podcast, and we'll be giving you guys access to that uh, next week. But he writes, and, and, and so many of you I know have, have studied uh, Jimmy Evans. He's got an gr- incredible prophecy ministry, but also an incredible marriage ministry uh, that, that he does. But he says this about this anti-Semitism. But on the other hand, the world will turn special attention to the Jews in order to persecute them with great intensity. The good news is that God will protect his people. As the story continues in Revelation 12, twice portrays a woman, Israel, which we talked about last week. The dragon was Satan. Uh, the woman was Israel. The baby was Jesus. But the woman in the story being sheltered in the wilderness from Satan's attacks. This lasts for three and a half years, Revelations 12:6. And no matter how hard Satan tries, we see in that same chapter through verse 17, he can never break God's covenant with the Jews. Even though God will preserve corporate Israel, however, this does not mean that individual Jews and Christians will, not, will, will be totally unharmed. Bible prophecy predicts in that same chapter persecution, and some of the saints will be killed. So yes, anti-Semitism is here. And isn't it crazy how the narrative has changed even since October 7th? People are hating Jews. Now, this is the incredible thing about this, the awful thing about this. I don't know, uh, for many of you, you may have studied World War II history. You understand uh, about the Holocaust. You understand what happened in the concentration camps. If you ever have a chance to tour a concentration camp, do so. We were able to do that. We went to Dachau. Uh, we saw what was done, the systematic annihilation of a people or tr- the attempt of an assi- a systematic a- annihilation of a people and, and how they did that with the gas chambers and the, the lies and the trickery. I mean, it, it was awful, awful. What the Nazis did to the Jews and to so many other people was despicable. But it pales in comparison to what Hamas did to those Israeli people on October 7th. It pales in comparison. Anti-Semitism is real, it is on the rise, and understand it's not going to get better until the Prince of Peace comes, until the Prince of Peace comes and wipes all of this out and starts a new kingdom on this planet. Number eight, how does any of this fit into prophecy about end times? You know, we've been talking about this, this border war in, in, in uh, Psalms 53 that we're right in the middle of. We, we talked about this Jeremiah war between Israel and Iran. And we, we talked about the fact that we're, like, we're right in the middle of all that. And then we get questions a lot. It's like, well, this Gog and Magog war, this war in Ezekiel, is, are we in it now? Is, is this happening right now? Well, no, this isn't the Gog and Magog war. But what's happening is the world is preparing for it. All the sides are lining up. And when we read in Ezekiel 38, we see it happening before our eyes. The Bible says in verse 1, there's another message that came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against Gog of the land of Magog. Now I'm going to give you some different lands. Uh, I'll explain what these lands are, what these lands are in in modern day, but these were the, the names for them during the time. Against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince who rules over the nations of Meshech and Tabal, 
Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. Gog, I am your enemy. I will turn you around and put hooks into your jaws to lead you out to your destruction. I will mobilize your troops and cavalry and make you a vast and mighty horde, all fully armed. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya will join you, too, with all their weapons. Gomer and all its hordes with, will also join you, among, uh, along with the armies of Beth to Gormah from the distant north and many others. So this is a prophecy about a war that hasn't happened yet, but it's so close. It's so close to happening. And everything we're talking about is setting up for this war. So who are these nations? Well, Gog is the leader of Magog. He's the king of Magog. Magog is Russia. So when you look at the terminology that Ezekiel used and then you translate it over into where we are modern day, Magog is Russia. Persia is Iran. Iranians are not Arabs. They're Persians. This also includes areas of Iraq and Afghanistan. Iran was known as Persia until 1935. Iran, Israel, and the U.S. were allies until the Islamic Revolution of 1979. If you grew up during that time, you'll remember those, the, the 1979, 1980 times of, of, of the hostage situation when Jimmy Carter was in office and the Ayatollah Khomeini and how he had taken these prisoners and he held them captive and they were held captive for hundreds of days and finally uh, uh, there was negotiation, negotiations to let them out. Radical Shi'i Muslims took control of Iran and birthed Hamas and Hezbollah in this revolution of 1979. Ethiopia is the Sudan, which is northern Africa. Okay, Libya is part of that. They're part of the, the northern Africa Muslim nations. And just last week, Libya's parliament ordered diplomats of countries supporting Israel to leave. So they're, they're not only against Israel, but they're saying, if you have people in our country that is pro-Israel, get them out of here. Turkey is Beth Tagarma. This, this is crazy, but this just happened. Now, this is one of these nations from the north that will come and they will march on Israel. And Turkey has a legitimate army. They are a legitimate force in the Middle East and in Europe. And this just happened just a few weeks ago where the uh, pro-Palestinian rally happens. The Turkish news said that 1.5 million people uh, were in attendance. And their president said this. Ya İsrail sen buralara nasıl geldin? Nasıl girdin? Sen bir işgalcisin. Sen bir örgütsün. Dolayısıyla Türk milleti bunu biliyor. İsrail biz de seni savaş suçlusu olarak dünyaya ilan edeceğiz. Gazze'de savunma değil. Açık ve alçak bir katliam yürütülmektedir. Gazze halkının sergilediği vakur, kararlı ve inançlı duruş tarihe şanlı bir direniş destanı olarak yazılacaktır. Just a couple of weeks ago. He also said that uh, um, Hamas were not terrorists, but liberators. And that the West, us, were responsible for all of this. He also said that Turkey could attack any night unexpectedly. Those were his words. Now, in Jesus' name, we break down the strongholds of every word that that man said. 
We expose those lies to the truth. They cannot be effective in the spiritual world. And in Jesus' name, I pray that you would expose all of our minds to the truth of what is happening uh, against your people and your land. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't want to, you know, put lies in our worship center without tearing those down. Now, Turkey and Hamas are Sunnis. They're Sunni Muslims. Iran and Hezbollah are Shi'i Muslims. So two different sects of radical Muslims. Now these two, these two groups, they've been fighting each other for 1,500 years. They've been trying for all of these years to unite against Israel along with other Iranian proxy groups in Yemen. And we know that Yemen shot missiles at Israel. The United States intercepted those missiles before they could reach Israel. Erdogan, who is the president of Turkey, is, who is a Turkey, okay? Um, I thought that was funnier than that. I just came up with that. Erdogan is trying to step to the forefront because he wants to be seen as the leader of this movement against Israel in the West. So it's this power struggle. It's this pride thing. Now, this is super interesting. Intelligence is surfing, surfacing right now that the October 7th attacks were supposed to be much larger and much more coordinated. After interrogating, interrogating Hamas terrorists and finding documents on dead Hamas members, they have discovered that, that all of the proxies, all of the, all of the proxies supported by Iran were supposed to attack at the same time from all of the borders. Their plan was to kill at least 10,000 Israelis and keep the territory that they had invaded for as long as they could. But Hamas jumped the gun because they wanted all the glory for themselves. God used their disunity and pride to save thousands of Jews. So that's the truth, and that's, you're going to start hearing that. You'll start hearing that in mainstream media one day, that this was a much bigger, much grander attempt to destroy Israel. Now, when Ezekiel wrote this prophecy... The nation of Islam, this prophecy about the Gog and Magog war and this political climate that we're in right now, it didn't even exist. Islam didn't even exist. There was, there was no such thing as being Muslim. Islam did not become a religion until the 7th century A.D. 7th century after the death of Christ. Ezekiel didn't realize that what he was describing was the modern-day Islamic world that is radicalized against Israel. It's miraculous that over 2,500 years ago, the Bible predicted this political climate. It predicted all of these nations would exist. It predicted all these nations would hate Israel and plot together to destroy God's people. So how about Ukraine? That always gets thrown into it because they're kind of right in the middle of, of a lot of the stuff that's going on there. Well, the Ukraine is not mentioned in the scripture, but if the Russians are able to overtake them, it will give them more resources for their future expansion efforts. This will also embolden Vladimir Putin to, make, uh, to take more of what is not his in the future. So then, which leads to the next question. Is Putin Gog? Is he the king of Magog? Well, if all of this goes down with him as the ruler of Russia, then yes, he is Gog. But how's it all going to start? What are, what are the scenarios where this 
could happen. Or we're seeing it all come together. We're seeing all of these countries align. These countries have not been aligned in the past in the way that they're, they're aligned now, but they're all coming together. They're all being aligned. So, so how might it happen? Well, here's a few, a few theories. Theory number one. We know that 53% of the United States claims to be Christian Protestant. 22% call themselves Catholic. The United States population is three, uh, 323 million around that today. That means that 242 million, 250,000 consider themselves Christians by percentage. Now, if only half of them are really saved, like Jesus prophesied in Matthew 25, which we talk about in our science curriculum, Jesus says, you know, and it's so true, you can go and you can talk to people and you ask them, hey, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. You believe in Jesus? Yeah, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But what Jesus says in Matthew 25 is that those that say they're saved, those that say they're Christians, only half of them actually are. Then, 121 million 125,000 people are going to vanish from this country at the rapture within a twinkling of an eye. What do you think that that will do to our economy, our military, our workforce, our first responders? Can you imagine? Think about 9-11, and we lost thousands of people in that attack against the United States. What that did to our economy. I mean, what that did, what, how that shook us as a country. That was thousands of people. This is 121 million people that are going to disappear from this planet. Now, other countries with large percentage of Christians will have similar events. Obviously, Middle Eastern countries, Africa, Asia, where Christianity is sparser, will be less affected. The United States and Great Britain are, are world powers and Israel's biggest allies so when our countries are decimated by the rapture, Israel will be left exposed, and that's when her enemies will attack. The only reason these countries that have been around her, that have wanted war with her for so long, haven't done it, they haven't acted, is because they don't want a war with the U.S. or her allies. So that's theory number one. That's a pretty good theory, right? That's, that's pretty good. That's, I, I honestly hope that that theory is right, because that means that we will be gone. We won't be here. Theory number two, Iran gets nuclear capabilities, which if you've been reading it all or watching the press at all, we know that Iran has been trying to get nuclear capabilities for years, and they're on the cusp of getting it. So if they get those capabilities, Israel has said that we will bomb you. We will take out your a nuclear capability because they know as soon as they get a bomb, they're going to launch it at them. Well, Russia has openly said that if Israel bombs Iran, that they will go to war with Israel. So here's God coming in, Gog and Magog coming into the picture. God says, though, about those that will attack Israel and Ezekiel, that he's going to put a hook in their jaw and he will drag them down to the mountains of Israel. Yeah, you can applaud for that. That's a good thing. <laughs> Ezekiel 38 goes on to say that when all of these nations attack Israel, Israel will not have to fire one shot. God is going to personally take care of those countries himself. This is God's answer to Islamic Jihad. It will take them seven months to bury the dead and seven years to clear the debris according to Scripture. He uses the example of a hook and a jaw because during biblical times when a donkey wouldn't do what you wanted them to do, you would put a hook in its jaw and drag it around the way you would want it to go. So he's not only 
using the thought here of the hook and the jaw, but he's putting a hook into a jaw of a donkey or an ass, which represents these countries. I love saying that. <laughs> you can say that. Now, I thought in 2016, when I first really, really studying this, started studying this and, and first we first wrote this curriculum, I thought in 2016 we were close to this happening. Who would have thought in the last seven years how things would have unfolded and how much closer we really are? Number three. Theory number three. Well, we know from prophecy that no one will come to Israel's aid when this attack happens. Right now, we have two carrier groups in the Middle East. We are in this war. The United States is in this war. We are launching missiles. We are launching attacks. We are in this war. We have troops on the ground in these Arab nations and these Muslim nations that are under fire. So, if this is the case, if we're not careful, the United States could get spread so thin with the proxy wars that we're fighting against Russia, because we're fighting a proxy war through the Ukraine against Russia. We're now fighting this proxy war against Iran, uh, uh, against her proxies. And the issue we haven't even got to yet is the issue of what's happening in the Pacific between China and Taiwan. So we're spread pretty thin as it is, but we have no clue what has come across our border the last several years. We have no idea. I mean, Hamas was this organized to attack Israel, have this level of a tunnel system. We have the issues of millions of people coming across our southern border. The United States could be, we could be on the cusp of having an internal fight here in the United States against these Muslim act, uh, uh, radicals. If all these things start to happen, we are going to be spread so thin that we're not going to be able to protect Israel anymore. We're not going to be able to help with Ukraine anymore. We're going to have to deal with our own issues. Now, for years, people haven't wanted to mess with Israel because they didn't want problems with us. We may be a deterrent for other countries and have been a deterrent for other countries in the past, but here's the truth. God doesn't need us. Israel does not need the United States in fact, he wants it this way so that when the, so the world can see it was him who defended and saved Israel when Gog and Magog happens. Not the U.S., not Great Britain, Great, Great Britain. So a sign for us that this would be even closer would be to see America pull their military support from that region. Then Israel's enemies would, be, would feel free to attack. So those are some theories. Those are some, thing, some ways things could go down. And the Bible says that we're not supposed to predict the day of the rapture. We're not supposed to try to predict the day or the time of his second coming. But it doesn't mean we don't know the season. And he says in his scripture, you better know the season. You better know the season. And so that's why we teach these things. That's why we teach the prophetic. And you know what? If he went to the effort to predict these things happening 2,500 years ago, we need to learn them. That is a gift from God to us. So obviously, I didn't get through eight questions. So we are going to continue this next week. Um, let me say a prayer of blessing over you as we get ready to go. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. Thank you, Lord God, that we have prophecy so that we understand the season. And I pray right now, first of all, continue to bind the spirit of fear in us. 
Lord, that we would know you have us, that we don't have to be here for these things when they start to go down. Praise you for that. And I pray in Jesus' name for every person that we know that doesn't know you. Put someone in their life, Lord, that has influence with them, that will lead them to you. We don't want anyone to miss out on, on, on seeing you, on meeting you in the air. We don't, we don't want anyone to miss out on that. So give us the opportunity, give us the influence, give us the words that we need to be able to proclaim you, proclaim what's happening, and see as many people get saved in these last days as we possibly can. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Don't miss next week. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior and to guide my life, to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text HEAVEN to 94000 to get in contact with our staff where we can answer any questions you may have. Also, if you're in need of prayer, we would love to support you. You can submit your prayer requests by texting PRAYER SUPPORT to 94000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text FELLOWSHIP to 94000 to connect with our staff. As always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week in person or online.